Hi, this is Alex Gary, and this is the latest What Works Thinker podcast. Uh, Today, our guest is Deepak Rao. Uh, He has a company uh, called Damser, D-A-M-S-R. It is a company looking to uh, use big data to better uh, understand how uh, patients and doctors and nurses flow throughout a hospital. Thank you for coming this morning. Thank you. So um, let's first of all go into your background. How did what is your uh, what is your career background before you started this company? Oh, thanks, Alex. Uh, I have been in the uh, software industry for almost thirty years. So uh, five years ago, I left Microsoft and uh, co-founded a startup in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, called Solomo Technology, uh, where we did indoor location analytics. So basically, we pioneered a field where we were able to anonymously track uh, cell phones uh, because of all the Wi-Fi pings that are emitted by by phones, by smartphones, and use that data to uh, figure out traffic analytics in indoor spaces, but also uh, small outdoor spaces like uh, public parks, etc. About a year ago, uh, we sold our company and I then moved, uh, I founded uh, Damser, which is in the healthcare analytics space. So uh, my previous career was, uh, I spent 10 years at Microsoft. And my last role there was I ran their cloud uh, sales organization, their Windows Azure team for the central region. And uh, before uh, Microsoft, I spent uh, eight years at Oracle, all on the uh, enterprise application space, primarily focused on manufacturing applications. And then between Microsoft and Oracle, I did a startup in the product lifecycle management space. And then even prior to Oracle, I spent seven years at another uh, technology startup called Concilium, where we did uh, manufacturing execution software. So, uh, the healthcare. So you've mm-hmm. been in you've been in this um, data collection, data analysis kind of area for a long time. Yes. What drew you to the healthcare industry and in, in, yeah. in launching Damser? Okay. Uh, so that's a, it's an interesting personal story. Uh, after uh, we sold off Solomo, I had I was trying to decide what do I do next. I. Uh, I had gained a lot of expertise in location technology over the last four years with Solomo, so I did not want to let go of that and, and switch fields completely. And my wife's a physician, and um, she often complains about all the challenges that she faces. And uh, being in the post-acute care space, she visits a lot of uh, skilled nursing homes and assisted living facilities. And uh, during our uh, daily walks in the evening, she would often describe challenges that she faces. And that's, uh, and that's what got me thinking. I, I thought, uh, you know, if she has these challenges, I'm sure everybody else has them too in, in her, her field. And these are simple problems from a technology perspective. Now, Adopting them from a cultural perspective is a different story or a different challenge, but from a technology perspective, healthcare delivery can benefit a lot from some simple solutions. And that's what led me to Damser to just 
try to figure out what is actually going on during healthcare delivery and using that as a data set to bring about change to improve outcomes and to improve efficiency and throughput. So let's talk about what what is how are you collecting the data and what are you collecting? Yeah. So we, uh, it's a very simple way to collect data. We have um, battery-powered uh, tags and sensors. So uh, we issue tags. Uh, these are tiny, about the size of a quarter, uh, battery-powered Bluetooth low-energy tags that uh, everybody carries with them. So the patient is issued one, the doctors, the nurses, the therapists, or anybody who is involved in care delivery is issued these tags. These tags have battery lives anywhere from six months to three to four years. So you essentially issue them once and each tag is identified, meaning uh, it has a unique um, ID associated with it. So we know who is carrying the tag. And then we have small sensors about the size of a deck of cards that get plugged into the wall on, in a regular outlet. And these sensors are uh, detecting the signals being emitted by the tags, and the tags emit a signal every second. So we are, very, uh, we are able to capture very accurately where each tag is uh, because we know uh, we capture the signal strength from the tag to the sensor and based on the signal strength, we can do a trilateration to figure out uh, the position of each tag at every moment. So we have a map of the facility where we plug in the sensors and we know who is carrying those tags and, and essentially we're collecting this raw signal strength data from every tag and running analytics on top of that to figure out the position uh, of each person. Why does this help? How does this help yeah. patients? How does this help doctors? So the f there are several uses for this data, but the first and the simplest use for this data is throughput optimization. So what I mean by that is based on this data, we are able to figure out where are all the bottlenecks and inefficiencies during the care delivery process. So for simple examples, are we are able to figure out how long a patient is waiting? Uh, how long does it take to, uh, to transport them or to room them from the reception area into the actual uh, procedure room if they're there for a, a certain procedure? How long does it take to do the procedure? How long is the recovery time? So we're able to measure uh, very, very accurately uh, the entire uh, patient flow. And not just that, but not just times, but we're also able to measure how many people are involved uh, during that entire process from the moment the, uh, the patient checks in to the, to the time the patient is discharged. So based on all this data, we're able to figure out where are the inefficiencies. So simple examples, uh, concrete examples are, um, in, a, um, in a clinic where they do a lot of procedures, uh, we're able to figure out how long does it take to turn over a room, meaning at the end of a procedure, typically the room needs to be cleaned and prepared for the next patient. Often that is a bottleneck. Everybody knows this intuitively, but uh, they lack uh, hard data to say, 
how much time is actually being lost because we are inefficient in cleaning. In other words, if we were able to turn the room around in, let's say, a given standard amount of time, say three minutes, then how many more procedures could we actually be doing during the day? And doing one even one additional procedure in a day is significant amount of revenue lean manufacturing exactly so it's it's this data is great input into anybody who's involved in a lean or uh, in a six sigma uh, effort to uh, to understand the process and to eliminate waste and uh, reduce uh, variability this is one of those ideas that when i heard it when i met you i was like oh, did people aren't doing this already you know, I mean, those are the best ideas, the ones where you're like, I can't believe nobody's thought of that already. But is it, what was the barrier uh, to, to collecting this kind of data? Yeah, so uh, you're, you're right in pointing out that uh, this is a fairly simple concept. And it has been widely applied in many, many industries, uh, especially manufacturing or airlines or hospitality and um, and retail in uh, many of these industries, w which are uh, which have a, a large uh, people component, or that are heavily process oriented or repeatable, uh, these concepts have been applied uh, since the the mid '60s. Uh, so it's it's nothing new. Most of these concepts have been applied in the past in other industries because there's been a strong incentive or motivation to improve efficiency. And healthcare uh, has just not been there in, in terms of they've never had the motivation to strongly look at efficiency. Uh, only now in the, in the last five years where the reimbursement models are changing and firstly, the, uh, the amount of healthcare delivery has increased significantly. So the, the two things combined uh, it, the time is right now for, for healthcare to use this kind of technology or to leverage things that have been done in other industries. So where are you in terms of uh, growing your company? Yeah. So we launched the company uh, less than a year ago, and uh, we are in the early stages. We have one customer now, uh, and we have a very active pipeline. Uh, our target currently is large academic hospitals. And uh, we have active conversations going on with about um, 30 of them across the country. And we expect to have between uh, five to six customers uh, signed up uh, before the end of uh, 2018. This, um, this podcast is like aimed to kind of teach people how to build businesses. So how did you get in the door for the first one? Ah, good, good question. So uh, my, my first customer was through essentially networking or through, uh, through a personal connection. As uh, uh, I mentioned, I, we launched the company in April of last year. We uh, spent the first couple of months just building a prototype and um, making sure that uh, the idea that uh, I had was actually viable, that, uh, uh, that we could collect this kind of data and we could uh, perform uh, analysis on it and it would produce some meaningful results. So 
the first few months was just spent in building out the prototype and ensuring that uh, we had something that we could then take to a hospital and actually show them. And uh, once we got to that stage, uh, I, I started uh, leveraging my own network to connect with a whole bunch of hospitals. And initially, I, we started with uh, smaller facilities, ass assuming that it would be easier to convince them and, and so on. Well, it, it turns out that, yes, while smaller facilities are are easier to get an introduction into and start the conversation, often they take longer to actually make a decision or especially when it comes to newer technology, they look to larger institutions and they would rather uh, follow somebody else's lead. They don't want to be the guinea pig. Ex exactly. And that's what led me to academic hospitals because I found that the conversations with them um, tended to move a lot faster or they were much more open to uh, trying out something new. Uh, at the end of the day, this is a new data set. This is something that has not been collected before in hospitals. Though hospitals are used to the idea of leveraging technology, they are very, very sophisticated uh, places, but uh, this kind of process data has never been captured in hospitals before. And so I needed somebody who would be open to trying out something new. And that's where I narrowed my focus down to academic hospitals and I leveraged my personal contacts within academic hospitals to get in front of as many uh, as possible. And anybody who has uh, been in any kind of enterprise uh, selling situation knows that it is a numbers game. The more you, people you get in front of, the, the better off your, your chances are. So. I cast a wide net uh, amongst academic hospitals and was fortunate enough to find a sponsor. He's the head of interventional radiology at a large academic hospital in Texas who was excited uh, to, uh, to look at this data for his own um, department. And uh, that's how we got started. I'm not an expert on hospitals, but I do. I've read some that I, their their scheduling systems are wacky. I mean, you, you have doctors on these extended twenty four hour shifts, and um, is that something that you think down the road will get adjusted as they look at this kind of data? Yeah, the the one of the byproducts of this data, in addition to just saying, okay, how many more procedures can we do in a day or uh, or in a month? One of the important uh, byproducts of this data is uh, staffing, is to figure out do we have the right amount of staffing at the right time and the right blend of staffing. So it's not just about um, the number of total number of people. It's do you, uh, because to uh, take care of a patient, so let's say a patient who's come in for a procedure from start to finish, there are a variety of skill sets that are involved. So it's not just a doctor or a surgeon or an anesthesiologist, it's multiple types of nurses, it's multiple types of support staff. And any one of them, if, if you don't have the right number of any one of those uh, skill sets, it, it can be the bottleneck. 
uh, as the example I mentioned earlier, cleaning, uh, often most people don't even think about it, but uh, if you don't have enough people on your cleaning crew, and if you're not turning over the rooms fast enough, then that can be a bottleneck. And our same thing with transport. Uh, if you don't have enough people who transport patients, especially in larger hospitals, that can be a, a, a bottleneck. And we've measured instances where there is a surgeon and an anesthesiologist and um, multiple nurses sitting and waiting for a patient to be brought into the room. And uh, so, and that's probably the least lowest paid person in the hospital. Exactly, exactly. And uh, all uh, so, most hospitals uh, uh, know that these kinds of issues exist. Mm -hmm. It's just that they lack the data to quantify the impact of it, and so it remains uh, anecdotal or it remains a source of frustration for everybody on the team, but once you capture this data and you're able to quantify it, it gives people the clear motivation to act upon it. The um, the stuff you're talking about, uh, we, we were discussing mm -hmm. before we turned the, the recorder on, big data yeah. is, I'm fascinated by it, mm -hmm. and um, just... You know, in the next ten or fifteen years, the changes that we're going to see, I think, it just is fascinating. And and we're going to look at twenty. You know, we're going to look at the eighties and nineties and, and and say, I can't believe we did things that way. I mean, what are what are some of the the big data changes just in your career yeah. that you've seen that totally altered the way you know we do things? Yeah. So uh, you know. I, I, Every field um, leverages data today. So in the past, data was the exclusive domain of certain industries. The insurance companies have always used a lot of data. Uh, engineering has always been very data-centric. Uh, but most other fields were uh, not as data-centric uh, because lack of either availability of data or the, avail uh, the ability to analyze it. Uh, given the... The ease of uh, uh, computing and the availability of, of people to to make sense of this data. Every field leverages data. A great example of it is sports, and uh, uh, that has been very, very well documented. That um, teams that have the ability to use data effectively uh, end up winning. Uh, going, uh, if if you take baseball as an example, the Oakland A's were among the first to do it. The famous Moneyball. That's book, right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, more recently, the transformation the Red Sox went through, and when they won their multiple championships uh, after a long drought, and of course uh, something near and dear to my own heart, the the Cubs, uh, when they won um, in 2016. Well, last year. The Astros, I think, were the biggest buyer into big data early in this decade. And they actually were kind of ridiculed for it. And Correct. now all of a sudden, they have a team that's won, and them and the Cubs are going to be stacked and battling it out for years to come. Exactly. So that's an industry that has been completely transformed by big data. And it was a very tradition-bound industry that people were resistant to change. But uh, data has made them believers. You know, here's a good one, just because yeah. this is Rockford. And one of our favorite people is a, a basketball player named Fred Van Vliet. Have you heard of Fred? 
Uh, no, I'm no, okay, no. that's okay. Um, he is a six foot guard who went to Auburn, then went to Wichita State, and now he's on Toronto. Mm-hmm. First player from this area in uh, since nineteen ninety four to make the NBA, and his statistics at first glance are not, you know, all star level. But when you look at the advanced data, he is the leader in plus minus per minute. And so all of a sudden, people are looking at Fred for what he is, which is a winner, which big data would not have helped him. He probably would still be kind of buried on the bench somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I I mean, uh, every industry, whether it's entertainment or uh, manufacturing or uh, and and healthcare, especially now, is being transformed uh, by big data in healthcare specifically. When you look at the classic segmentation of healthcare as uh, payers, providers, and pharmaceutical slash device manufacturers, uh, payers, the ins- meaning the insurance companies, have always been very good at looking at large sets of data uh, and leveraging it to set rates, to negotiate contracts with hospitals and individual providers. It just wasn't called big data, but they've been doing it since the, the called, it was called actuarial tables, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and or it was called um, you know contract negotiation yeah. or, or or something else. Um, similarly, uh, the pharma side in healthcare has also been uh, using data, leveraging data uh, in terms of. Uh, large volumes of data gathered from uh, clinical trials, from uh, genomics, from uh, devices, and uh, they've been using data for a long time. And so they are very used to this concept of of using data to make uh, decisions. It's the provider side that has been uh, lagging in terms of data. And And the knee jerk reaction to that was uh, the electronic health record in, in uh, the ER electronic medical record. So the the emphasis has been that let's document everything that goes on during care delivery uh, through this mechanism called an electronic health record. And that will give us all the data we need to then improve outcomes and to improve care delivery. Unfortunately, that uh, no, I, I shouldn't say unfortunately. Uh, in my view, that is a limited uh, way of, of of trying to improve uh, outcomes. We created a whole new industry: medical billing. <laughs> yes, right? the stay-at-home medical billers who I, just basically take records and I, yeah, exactly. And um, uh, the the fundamental idea behind it is. Uh, how uh, it's to answer the question what happened to the patient and the electronic health record and use that um, data to say okay if we truly understand what happened to the patient then we can figure out uh, how to improve things uh, bad outcomes will happen or or do happen uh, but they don't happen all that frequently but they do happen and the goal is to reduce uh, at bad outcomes so simple examples are in a hospital uh, patients fall down so falls or infections 
or um, readmissions to the hospital after within 30 days after being discharged. These are uh, bad outcomes or what are uh, undesirable outcomes. And the goal is to reduce them. And the, the way to reduce them is to say, okay, let's look at why they happened or what happened to the patient while they were in the hospital that led to these bad outcomes. So in trying to recreate what actually happened to the patient, the primary source of data today is the electronic health record. So you go and you look at who treated the patient, uh, what kinds of treatments they received, what kind of medication they received, et cetera, et cetera. And that relies on the, the documentation that was entered by somebody. Now, our contention is, is that all that happened to the patient? Obviously not. The electronic health record does not capture every single thing that happened to the patient. For example, it does not capture every single person who touched the patient or who came into contact with the patient. It does not capture how long was this interaction between the patient and any clinical provider or where inside the hospital that happened because the health record is just a summary documentation essentially and it relies on people entering something or interacting with the system and entering that data. So at best, it's a incomplete picture of what happened. So if you're trying to answer the question, what happened to the patient while they were in the hospital, we feel that in addition to the electronic health record, this interaction data is an essential component that needs to be looked at together with the electronic health record to provide a more complete picture of how the patient was treated and that will give a clue to how do you prevent a bad outcome. Well, one of the things I used to do when I worked at the Raffer Register Star was go through lawsuits. That was, you know, once a month I would go over and I would take a look at uh, what's going on. And, and, and you know, a vast majority, not a majority, but a, a very large number every year of lawsuits are uh, against hospitals or doctors. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can right away see collecting this kind of data would be essential when you you are uh, defending yourself against uh, charges of miscare. Yes. And instead of relying on memory and instead of relying just on documentation that is often uh, six months or a year uh, after the incident and uh, you're, you're trying to recall things based on what was documented a long time ago, uh, you actually have uh, very accurate data as to uh, everybody who was involved in, in uh, caring for the patient. Again, just to be clear, we're not advocating the replacement of, of an electronic medical record. We feel that that is essential and that is very important for purposes like billing and so on, and for um, continuity of care. That is what the electronic medical record, um, it, the primary benefit of having the electronic me medical record is. What we are advocating is supplementing that 
with um, this additional data set of, uh, of interactions to uh, improve outcomes. And the added benefit of this interaction data is it can be used uh, for predictive analytics. And that's where uh, machine learning or AI or whatever label you want to associate to it uh, comes into the picture because anything that can be correlated with an interaction. So as an example, if you think about, in, if you take the example of infections, hospital acquired infections, that is a big problem. By definition, an infection occurs when two people come into contact with each other. Uh, and that's how an infection spreads inside the hospital. If there was true isolation of the patient, then there would be no question of an infection spreading. But what about if if it was the room was not correctly cleaned? Yes, but then it would if the patient was truly isolated, mm -hmm. then it would be contained it would be limited to the patient. So the only way that infection spreads within the hospital is when somebody interacted with that patient who was uh, infected to begin with. Okay. So this problem of what what is commonly referred to as nosocomial infections which is which just means hospital acquired infections to contain that or to to get a better handle on that you need to understand everybody who came in contact with the patient identifying patient long. zero Right. Yes. There's I, all kinds of like great yes. shows about that. Right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Identifying patients zero, and then not just that, because it's also the mechanism of how that infection got spread, and the interaction patterns that lead to a higher risk of infection spreading. Because again, it's not uh, every single time a patient is infected does not lead to a widespread uh, uh, infection within the hospital. So it's not uh, it's not as simple as saying or identifying, oh, every time this happens, you can assume that there will be a, a, a widespread infection. So understanding the patterns of data, leveraging machine learning or predictive analytics techniques on this data can lead to a much better predictor for when uh, infections happen. And so then when you recognize a certain pattern of interactions, and if you know that it, it leads to a higher probability for infections, you have the opportunity to do something about it ahead of time. And that's the goal of, uh, of, of Damser, is to leverage all this interaction data to do predictive analytics to improve outcomes within hospitals. From just your limited time so far of having the, the data in that one hospital, can you kind of hazard a guess of how much more efficient hospitals can become? Yeah. Um, this the short time that we have the data for, 
we can safely say that we can improve efficiency by about 15%. I think the opportunity is, uh, uh, is uh, likely larger, and over time we will be able to figure that out. Uh, but I think a 15% improvement in throughput is very, very achievable. Wow. That, is, uh, that would be an industry changer, right? Absolutely. Uh, that uh, For a single hospital, that is uh, millions of dollars of additional revenue. And not just additional revenue, once you improve throughput, you are uh, eliminating inefficiencies and bottlenecks, which leads to... Hopefully lower costs. Uh, as well as uh, patient satisfaction. So just... Again. Oh, God. I mean, who doesn't have a friend who complained about having to sit in a room for two hours for something, maybe a medical biller or uh, a transport or something? Exactly. So patient satisfaction and employee satisfaction, too, um, is is huge. So the, the benefits of improving uh, throughput are, are, are many. And it's not just um, the wait time associated with the, the patient or a family member who's there with the patient, of course, that, that is, uh, it's great that we're able to reduce that. But there are clinical implications too. So many times when you come in for a procedure, uh, everybody's had this experience, you've been told don't eat anything for 24 hours before the procedure. And uh, imagine if we were able to reduce the total time then uh, the time that you can start eating again is is shortened. Uh, so that has huge implications too from a clinical standpoint. So if you were an elderly person and uh, you had high blood pressure or um, elevated sugar levels and so on, uh, every hour that goes by without eating uh, does add to complications. And so it's not just for uh, you know, uh, feeling good, uh, but it's essentially from a clinical standpoint too to reduce the, the total time. So when I was growing up, I've, I've always been a numbers nut. And I was I and a baseball player. When I was growing up, by the time I got a hit, I knew by the time I hit first base what my batting average was, right? Or if a kid made an error behind me as a pitcher, mm-hmm. I had already figured out okay how that's going to affect my ERA. What is I? It sounds like you also have this kind of love for numbers and what they can tell you. Where did that come from? Um. Uh, I, by uh, training, I'm an engineer, mm-hmm. and um, I spent the first uh, 15 years of my career essentially looking at process optimization in uh, manufacturing. Uh, I did my graduate uh, work in uh, process planning and, and improving uh, scheduling uh, on the shop floor. Uh, and uh, so it's just that I'm just wired that way now uh, where um, trying to make any kind of change or uh, it, in, in my uh, opinion is, uh, should be data-driven. Uh, I mean, you start with a, a, a gut feel or anecdotal evidence, but uh, you can't trust that. You need to verify that with data. And that's just the way I, I'm, I'm wired at, at this point. And 
uh, that has been reinforced over the years by success in these. So I've seen how data has made a difference in in manufacturing, especially, and that has just reinforced that thinking in me to say, you know, uh, that's the right way to go. I mean, there are many, many ways to approach a problem, and um, there are uh, the data-driven approach seems to be. Uh, the simple or the the obvious way uh, to me, uh, because and and I've seen good results from it. Well, obviously you keep up on the trends in other industries. So, ten years from now, what are some of the things that are that are being developed now that are really going to alter our lives or or make our lives better? Uh, you know uh, the. Uh, Shopping, as as an example, or or anything that you do as a consumer, I think has already seen a a, a big change, and I think that will only get get better. Uh, anything that has to do with uh, convenience and the the services that are available to you today, compared to even a few years ago has um, have changed dramatically. I'll give you some examples from my own uh, personal experience. And, and I think the, the bigger impact is um, outside the, the, the country and in, in parts of the world where um, I, I, I'm originally from India and I go back to India on a regular basis and have seen the transformation that is going on in a country like India, which is still by and large e- extremely uh, poor. But there has been a dramatic shift over the last 10 years, especially in terms of services available to the common man, all driven by the simple availability of uh, of cell phones and and the data associated with that, so the number of services that are available to people in India, just because of of the, of having cell phones, is uh, amazing. Now the impact of that is yes, of course, the middle class and the rich they benefit from all these services that that are available to them, but who is providing these services? It's the it's it's what people who were in the past uh, not as well off. So the overall poverty level in a, in a large country like India with a huge population has come down significantly. And that is, I, I attribute that to the availability of data, essentially. Uh, because after all, communication technology is nothing more than uh, at, at its core, uh, the transport of the movement of data. Wow. Yeah, it's I. You read about some of it. Well, here's a question for you: um, Are you an optimist or a pessimist on some of these efficiencies? In terms of, as companies get more efficient, they learn how to deliver services or products with fewer people. Uh, and maybe this is a little about, but you know, one of the things I always talk about is is uh, automated trucks. Right, uh, the transportation industry is the largest employer in the United States, getting a product from A to B or A to Z. And what are we going to do with those truckers when automated trucks are on the road? I mean, are you are you an optimist that we will continue to make new ways to employ people and deliver services that we will be able to absorb 
um, the jobs lost to some of these efficiencies? Oh, I'm a complete optimist. Um, I think this only makes uh, everybody, it raises the, uh, the, the, the tide for everyone. So um, making things more efficient, making things better is only a good thing. Because at the end of the day, uh, the planet has limited resources and the better we can leverage that, the, the better off we will all be in the, in the long run. So it is actually essential. And I don't see that as, um, as a detriment in any way. Uh, I mean, humans are extremely adaptable. And uh, yes, at, uh, there are s small periods of time where there might be instances where individuals are affected uh, by shifts. In, in, uh, but uh, the overall trend is always positive because there's always need for doing other things and doing it better, and uh, which is where uh, people's energies will uh, get shifted to. Well, I'd like to thank you for coming in. We normally we, we record these at night, but uh, but Deepak came in in the morning because he has to go downtown to Chicago to meet with Google, who's putting together a panel of uh, health uh, healthcare startups, right? And you don't know why they want you there, but this is going to be great. <laughs> I, I I'm going to watch the growth of your company. I think it's uh, um, that is an industry that that needs a revolution. And so uh, I congratulate you on your company and and hope that. When we talk to you in a couple of years from now, you're in like, you know, 500 hospitals. Thank you. Thank you.